0: Hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Brass Taxes. I'm Caroline Craighead, and today we have one big interview for you with an old friend of mine. So I'm not going to tell you too much before we get into that, except if you're in Los Angeles uh, and you make untaxed business income, like from sales or contract work, it is time to get in touch with the city's Department of Finance and tell them how much business income you made last year. If you made less than $100,000, or if you're a creative business, it can be up to $300,000, you're exempt from the city's business tax. But in order to claim that exemption, you got to report your earnings on time. And that time is now, before March 1st. And you can do that at finance.lacity.org, or you can call them. It's one of those annoying things that you probably only know about if you've gotten letters about it saying that you're delinquent. Uh, But if you live and work in L.A. and you don't know what I'm talking about, you can reach out to Brass Taxes and we can help you figure out whether it applies to you. This podcast is, of course, as you know, brought to you by Brass Taxes, the tax prep company for artists, freelancers and other nice people. We do it all. Uh, You can check us out at BrassTaxes.com, and if it's your first time working with us, you can use the discount code POD25, and that gets you $25 off the fee for tax prep. Okay, interview time. Our guest today has three bracelets. I don't know how much he wears them, but I do know that he got them from winning World Series of Poker tournaments. He also runs a couple of businesses, Run It Once Poker and Run It Once Training, He is Phil Galfond, a friend I met in an improv class in Madison, Wisconsin, where we were both undergrads at UW at the time. And then when my friends Shannon Gould and I were looking for apartments together our sophomore year, we were finding more three-bedroom options than two-bedroom ones. And so after a rigorous review process, we brought Phil in as our third. We found a place together and we've been friends ever since. Here for you now is my conversation with Phil Galfond, also happens to be one of the, I guess, most successful and like revered poker players in the world. Is that fair to say? You're not going to
1: say it. Yeah, I'm not going to say it. (laughs) Uh, It's at least fair. People wouldn't call you ridiculous for saying that.
0: Great. So for our listeners, I want them to first understand that I am not a poker player uh, and that I met Phil before... You, I think it was before you, maybe you had played some games, but it was certainly before you had gotten into poker. Uh, and then we were roommates in college, flatmates. Uh, and that's where I saw you embark on this journey of diving headlong into becoming a poker pro.
1: Yeah, no, We our meeting coincided with, I mean, I started playing poker around the time we first met. And um, when we moved in together, that was around the time that I started like playing kind of seriously. I was still going to school. I wasn't like, yeah, I was far from a professional, but I was I was taking it more seriously then. Yeah,
0: one thing that I remember from when we were living together, uh, and and this, maybe contributed to why I'm not a poker player is at one point I was broke and I was like, listen, Phil, you're making a bunch of money playing poker. I would like to play poker and make a bunch of money. And you, first of all, very generously tried to teach me.
1: (laughs) I think we got as far
0: as like pot odds and I was like, I'm out I don't understand this at all.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: And then you also very gently told me that I don't have the right temperament for poker. I did,
1: didn't I? (laughs) Yeah. I don't think you were wrong. I was more honest back then. Um, you would lie now. Yeah. You'd be
0: like, yeah, sure, do it. I would just sign sh- up for a run at once. Well, <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can profit off of it now. No, I would. Um, I maybe would have been a little, a little less blunt. But yeah, no. I mean, I think that I, I have met over the years. I mean, at that point, I had not met many poker players. Um, you know, I had discussed some with people online on on forums and things like that. But now, you know. It's 16 years later or so I've met a lot of poker players and and there are players with all different kinds of temperaments. Um, and I think, yeah, I don't think I would, I I probably wouldn't say that to anybody. Um, for the most part, you'd have to have a pretty extreme temperament for me to say it's just not definitely not going to work out. Um, but I do think, I do think it's harder for some people, uh, cause there's, there's just a lot of, um, there are a lot of swings, and it's, it's, there's a lot to deal with emotionally. Yeah. And I felt like, I guess I, w- I would have said that because I could see you like getting frustrated. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. No, that's yeah. fair. <laughs> I yeah. mean, the, the way that you approach swings was very privately, in terms of like, you know, as far as I could see or other people who you were hanging out with could see. Uh, I don't think it was obvious at all when you were, like, down hundreds of thousands of dollars or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, How—what do you think it is that made you able to tolerate that or, or withstand the emotional impact of swings in a way that helps you to move through it?
1: It kind of feels two separate things that I— that are the reason that you never saw me upset, and it's it's kind of like seventy five percent that I just don't get that upset, and then twenty five percent that I that I don't show people my emotions very much. Um, so I I I don't know. I'm I'm naturally pretty even keeled, and I don't know why that is, um, but I just am. So I'm fortunate in that way. I, I never get very upset. I never. But also, there's like. <laughs> this is a funny memory. Fast forward many, many years. I, I have this memory that pops out when we were having a, we were throwing Thomas a birthday party in New York in my apartment. Mm-hmm. And we had um <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, so we <laughs> we hired um uh two I don't know what they're called. Not whatever, reality shows uh stars from Stars? Yeah, stars. Sure. From uh, <laughs> Uh, from bad girls club because we used to watch that all the time to make an appearance. And, uh, this is, I mean, this is not actually really going anywhere, but it's sort of is. Uh, so where it's going <laughs> is there was, I remember I was talking to one of them and there was just this loud crash in my apartment and, and, it, for, you know, coming from another room and she, she commented, she was like, why, you didn't react at all. I guess it's fine if you're not reacting at all, then it's, then it's probably okay. But it's just an example of like, I don't know. I don't react really to- uh,
0: But you were upset. Like you were like, oh my God, what's happening? Or you just sort of were like, okay, there was a crash. I need to no, logically- I, was,
1: <laughs> I think I was just like, well, yeah, no, nothing. Whatever happens gonna be, assuming nobody died, um, you know, it'll be okay. <laughs> Maybe something broke. And, uh, and we have to fix it, but yeah.
0: What a nice way to live, to not worry about things. I mean, there must be things you worry no,
1: about. No, I, I definitely worry, and, and, but I just don't. I worry and I think a lot about you know, the future and planning and giving myself the best opportunity to succeed, but I don't really panic when something goes wrong in the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. That's helpful. I was reading about uh, your—and I listened to a great podcast, actually, about the podcast—not the podcast challenge, the (laughs) the Galfon challenge. (laughs) Uh, And I don't understand all of the ins and outs of what the rules were, but at one point you were down and saw that you needed to take a break or you just were like, I'm in a headspace where I can't proceed with this. And so I'm going to pay the penalty to pause action for a while and then— figured out what your situation was mentally and like how to like reset in order to, to keep going. Can you talk about like that decision or what you, yeah.
1: So the, the, the dynamic of, uh, so starting last year, I started doing, playing some of these challenges, which are a new dynamic for me. So basically me and another player enter into a bet. Um, we have to play a certain number of hands in that case, it was 25,000 hands and we make a side bet on who the winner will be. And we have some rules about, you know, we, we've we agreed to this many days a week. Each player over the course of a few months can have two days off for free, but after that, any time off you pay a penalty, an hourly penalty for. And that's to, to you know, encourage people, make sure the challenge gets finished and and things like that. So normally in my career, if it's been going really badly, I can handle some swings pretty well, but sometimes it's it goes really badly for a while, and I just take a break because I find that to be what works best for me. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody gets affected. Um, I, I get affected less than most, but everybody gets affected and can't play their best. And if you're not playing, if if like poker's one of the jobs where you can't just clock into work and and, and half-ass it because uh, you're, <laughs> you're gonna lose a lot of money if, if you do that. So, I normally would take a break, but in this challenge format, I couldn't without getting penalized. And it, I had lost so much, and I was at a point where I was considering—I was considering quitting the challenge, before, like conceding, paying the side mm-hmm. bet. But I wasn't sure that I wanted to do that. But I also knew that I shouldn't play right now. So I decided to take—I don't remember how many days of penalty. It coincided with a vacation that he was taking. So like. I ended up having two and a half weeks or something, and only paid one week worth of penalties um, because we had already planned these sessions off. So it was fortunate timing for me. Mm. Um, but I did that to give myself, yeah, a couple weeks to make a clear-headed decision um, about continuing, and and then, yeah, and and to hopefully, if I did continue, be able to play better than I could at that time.
0: For for your head clearing, do you like? meditate? Do you have any sort of like, I don't know, spiritual practice or anything that you do to to sort of recenter your mind?
1: No, I keep trying to start meditating um, unsuccessfully. <laughs> I do have um, a mental game coach who is, uh, his name's Elliot Rowe. And I've worked with some other mental game coaches here and there, but um, he's the one I've worked with, you know, most publicly and throughout that challenge. Um,
0: and What's he's a, med- he's a hypnotherapist. Oh, okay.
1: So there are different kinds. He, uh, some just are people who, I don't know. So there's one I worked with a long time ago named Tommy Angelo, who he doesn't call him. He's not a hypnotherapist. He's not a, a psychologist. He's just a dude that played poker for a very long time, does meditate a lot, has a really good outlook on life and, um, a lot of experience and, and he helps with perspective, uh, really. And, um, there's another well-known mental game coach who's uh, a psychologist and he helps through, I mean, I didn't, I barely worked with him directly. His name's Jared Tendler. He has a couple of good uh, books on psychology and poker. Um, and he kind of works through, I don't know. You, I, I remember I worked with him once and started the process, but it was it was too much work for me. <laughs> but he's, you start with like a questionnaire of a bunch of things um, and then uh, his, his way is a lot more deliberate with Elliot. Um, he'll actually, I mean, it's hypnotherapy. So you, you start, he, he, um, puts you in a calm state and then we'll talk you through kind of, it depends on the situation, but he'll either talk you through what's on your mind and, and basically get you to say what you need to focus on over the next week or, or in this, this coming session that you're playing. Um, and kind of get you to realize that um, and then kind of get you to internalize I don't I don't really understand the science behind it frankly but it works um, kind of gets that's you great. to to see things a little more clearly and then uh, or sometimes he'll just yeah calm you down essentially so that's the the extent of what I've done mentally emotionally and I've only started doing that really I mean I worked with Tommy Angelo a long time ago but it was it was a lot. Um, it was not this frequent, or not for this purpose, so much. It was more like career decisions and direction and and perspective when going through a really hard time. But um, I only started this working with Elliot um, a little over a year ago, so that's that's new to me. It's 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 been helpful, but I certainly you know did this before without that.
0: Yeah, what what does it look like for you when when it is? uh, bad mentally? Like when you're in a place where, yeah. I mean, are you thinking I'm going to have to quit? I'm going to lose all my money. Like what kind of things go through your mind when you're like, okay, this is a place where I need to get out of it.
1: Yeah. It can be a few different things. Poker. One thing that's really tough in poker is, is the variance is so high that it's really easy to be fooled. Um, what do you mean fooled? It's easy to play for a while and think that you're a winner in a game when you're, in fact, not. Um, It's also easy to think you're a loser in a game when you're not. Um, Because the results take so, so long to kind of... um, What's the word? Regress to the mean? Is that the right term?
0: I don't know. Regression Regress to, the, to mean. the mean.
1: Regression to the mean. I think so. So like, oh, for, like
0: when it's like when it all shakes out.
1: Yeah. Like <laughs> okay. if I were to play for five years, the same game in the same conditions, um, you would find out at the end with a pretty high degree of confidence how well I could do
0: mm-hmm. in that
1: game. But... Given that, first of all, that that's a really long time, and second of all, game conditions change all the time. Your opponents are changing, or your, your opponent that you're playing is playing better or worse, and you're in a, in a different state as well. You never really have a ton of confidence um, in where you stand. And so the hardest thing about the downswings that happen is that you go from thinking, okay, I have this much money in my bankroll, and I think I can make this much an hour or this much a year going forward. And so you have this vision of where you'll be in three years Um, and it goes from that to, okay, I have half as much money left and now my vision of the next, of what I can make per hour or make in the next three years has gone way down too. So it's a really big swing in where you thought you would be um, in the future and you do start to doubt whether or not you can beat those games. I mean, for somebody like me who plays um, pretty high stakes and in tough games, you can always move down and play easier games and make less, mm. but st- I never have doubted that I could win anywhere, but you can certainly lose a whole bunch of money at high stakes and think, you know what? I don't know if I can beat these high stakes. So I'm gonna have to drop down and build back really slowly with, with no hope of, of making back what I just lost very anytime soon. Part of being a poker player is and a business owner is calculating, you know, the right amount of risk to take, um, you know, how much to risk at any point. You got to, kind of reduce your risk of ruin. And I've never been very good at that. Risk is a really difficult thing for humans to understand. And even poker players who have, have been doing this forever, and the same is true for you know people who work at hedge funds and, and people who've run business businesses for a long time, I think are still pretty bad at understanding risk. It's still hard because we're just not built to to not be results oriented and it comes from you know if you if if a caveman puts his hand on a fire and it hurts really badly he's learned something he he doesn't do that again mm-hmm. but a lot of times when you're taking risks you can do everything right and and have a bad result and it it's really tough and you could or you can do everything wrong and have a great result and obviously mm-hmm. the full spectrum of everything in between and it's really really hard to not let that affect you. It's it's really not possible to not let it affect you at all, even no matter how much you how much you try, but um it, it's a lot harder than people think, I guess.
0: But if you're some sort of human who doesn't get phased that much, <laughs> then it's a lot easier.
1: It helps, yeah. I mean, I I would probably be phased if I put my hand in a fire, I think. Sure. <laughs> but uh <laughs> but no, that helps for sure. And then also just having seen, I think what it is, is um, early in my poker career, there was a player who I respected a lot. Um, and he said somewhere, you, you'll, you at one point you will be unluckier than you ever thought possible. If you play this game in a you know, for years, right. at some point you're gonna be unluckier than you ever thought was even possible. And that's been true for everybody I know. Um, because it's just so hard to comprehend, you know, how, mu- how much luck can-, can play a role in something that happens. And um, I know that it, poker is not like most, like it's not very similar to everyday life. Um, and so I would imagine a lot of people think, well, okay, that makes sense in poker because it's gambling and, and mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what you're doing. But it's, it's really true in business and in, in a lot of areas of life. As well Um, and I'm struggling to think of a good example that that would apply to everybody
0: Um, well I think like I mean a lot of our clientele I don't know about whether it's our listeners or not but -hmm. (laughs) but hopefully uh, are in creative fields and you know something like being an actor (laughs) like where you could be amazing you can have like the best training in the world and be perfect for a part but like if you know, whoever was auditioning you was not feeling well because they had a weird lunch, like when you came yeah. in and did your your reading, like that's just luck of the draw.
1: That's the perfect example. And there are a lot, of, I mean, there are a lot of other ways you could, you know, the uh, whoever's casting could have a very clear idea in their mind of what they want the part to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, or, I mean, I would imagine, I'm not an actor, but I would imagine that there are probably a few ways you could take, um, could have gone with the audition that would be equally good, but one is kind of the direction that that Mm -hmm. they have in their head, like beyond what I'm sure they, you know, often will describe what they're some things about the character, but yeah, there are a lot of things that, yeah. I mean, the, the list of the most successful actors in the world is not, does not match up with the list of the most talented actors in the world. Not saying some wouldn't be on both, but right, um, yeah, it's just not at all. It's probably nowhere close. If yeah. if there's a way to accurately measure who the most talented sure. actors in the world, yeah,
0: like what is talent, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you are an actor, though. I mean, I know you're not doing it <laughs> right now. You acted in my two of my student films, though, that's true. and you were great.
1: Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed it. I uh, I don't know. If, I mean, I think that that's I think that's behind me, but who knows?
0: Yeah. What what drew you to because I know you as an improviser and someone who was willing to let me put a camera on them at one point in yeah. our lives. Uh, what what was it about performing that uh, interested you?
1: That's a good question. Um, I know that, so I got into improv mainly because I, I saw a show and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I, re- I really liked it. Uh, the first improv show I saw in Madison and um, I don't know. Really gravitated towards like I liked. I could tell that I liked the people just from just from watching a performance um, or watching a show. And um, that that's. I mean, we met. I think then taking an improv class um, from them. Uh, so that was the next thing I did. And and uh, I think the decision. I mean, actually, the decision to take class was. Uh, a weird one for me because I'd never done anything like that and I was, was an am, a uh, very shy person. And so it was, I think that actually, part of that was pushing myself a little bit uh, mm-hmm. out of my comfort zone intentionally.
0: Yeah. And that did come, become like your community in Madison. It did, yeah. The improvisers who you, even after school, like yeah. that was uh, who you stuck around and hung out with and everything. And so. Uh, it was a
1: great community. I mean, it ended up being, I think actually really important for me because up until kind of meeting that community, yourself included, I hadn't really, I I had some friends in college, but I didn't feel like I found people that were like me. Mm. And so I think that was led to a lot uh, more happiness uh, in my life.
0: Yeah. Um, While you also do describe yourself as someone who is uh, pretty even keel and doesn't get upset, you also seem to have like, <laughs> or in my memory, but, uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know, just like fanciful flights of like what would be fun <laughs> and funny to do uh, that like aren't necessarily logical. Like the slide, for example, you put a slide in between uh, two apartments on top of each other that you owned in New York. And uh, yeah, that's funny. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, you're describing funny. I was yeah, doing yeah. funny things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, I was remembering, you remember the basketball thing we had in our kitchen in the apartment?
1: Oh, man. I actually totally forgot, but yeah.
0: I had forgotten about that, too, but I was trying to think if there was other examples of things that you, like, bought when it was, like, when money started... <laughs> Becoming a yeah. thing that you had more than you needed of and and that was like a I mean I can't imagine that thing cost more than like 150 bucks or something.
1: Yeah, but. no, there wasn't too much I remember the other the only other thing with the the place in New York was the um, I I bought a the wall safe and then <laughs> and then commissioned a painting of that safe to put over it But I never I never used the safe um, But I just thought that was funny as well <laughs> But I think that's the I think that's the extent of it.
0: That was really funny. I forgot about that. Yeah,
1: yeah. I'm definitely more proud of that than the slide, but nobody talks about it.
0: That's I I mean I do think that that's funnier, but I definitely had more fun with the slide. I think. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, can you talk about are you what it was like? I mean, you went from you know, just being a college student who started playing poker and and to, to having, like, massive earnings through it. And, you know, you were the only one of us mm-hmm. <laughs> who was getting rich in those days. And so uh, I remember there being, like, some tension of just you being in a different space financially than everyone else. Um, what was it like to... to yeah, experience that? Or how did you sort of like, did you feel separate from the people who you were hanging out with in that way? Or yeah, I don't know. How did you think, how did you experience that?
1: I think there's, it's definitely, you know, sets the stage for potential tension, but I feel like, you know, all my friends in college were not really thinking differently Amir, mere, I, I, I never felt anybody was like resentful at all or um, I never felt awkwardness and I certainly you know I, I mean I, yeah there would never be anything coming from me like uh, you weren't looking you know, down on anyone but certainly yeah. <laughs> like
0: I mean but things that were concerns for other people yeah. you know like weren't concerns for you anymore. And in terms of like long-term planning or talking about, you know, like talking to your coach, Tommy, about like, you know, career things and where to go, uh, you know, that looked really different for you than it did, I think, for other people who are not in the same.
1: Yeah, uh, that's true. It becomes harder to, um, you know, when you have close friends, probably harder for close friends to talk to me about problems like that um, and, and harder to potentially... Potentially harder to empathize I feel like I could still understand but I, I don't I it didn't really feel it wasn't something I noticed really at all until Until I actually started spending it which really started in New York when I you know, bought mm-hmm. the bought the place I think while we were still in Madison, you know, yeah, I bought like a, I bought a nice TV and but beyond that there, there wasn't that much I wasn't living a lifestyle that was different really right. um, than right. my friends uh, for the most part other than like you know, most people wouldn't order food or, or go out to dinner every night and I would because I didn't, didn't want to cook. Um, but that's really, like, yeah, my lifestyle wasn't too different at that point. Um, once once we were in New York, um, it definitely felt a little more different. And also because New York is a place where, you know, it's easy to struggle financially um, uh, for a lot of people.
0: Oh my God, uh, I remember being with you when you were, Shopping for uh, a place, and I at the mm-hmm. same time was looking for an apartment, and it was just like insane the difference
1: between. Yeah. <laughs>
0: like how we were treated like you would have an entourage of like real estate reps like around you who were you know showing you the whole you know condo building or whatever and there was like refreshments and stuff and it was just this like luxury experience and then I would go and they would be like we need the application by four or you're out (laughs) like yeah "Yeah, there's rats live with (laughs) it yeah it was definitely like a, a hilarious dichotomy but yeah I mean I never got the sense that you were thinking of yourself differently or thinking differently of other people. But I feel like that reality of, you know, just like our society structures um, puts how much money you have as such a dividing factor that I actually, you know, was really impressed by how you did not, like it never went, it never seemed like it went to your head or anything.
1: Yeah, no, I think I'm, I, uh, I, 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 natu- I naturally kind of the way my mind works, I, I normally think I'm like worse than other people. I never think I'm better than anybody. so <laughs> it's, hard for, it's hard for me to uh, to really like look down on people or think I'm, I'm, I'm better than people, uh, the way I'm built. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely felt uh, in, in throughout college, especially before I spent any money, and like all my friends, you know were where most of my friends were college students, some were out of college, but you know, nobody was wildly successful. It actually made it easier to handle poker swings and, um, to like, I I wasn't even worried really about a scenario where I lost it all because then I would just be like everybody else, you know? Um, yeah. And it wasn't until I started spending money that, that, that kind of I played with not I, fear is the wrong word, but a little more caution. Um, it kind of felt like more like I had something to lose.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Like your sword that you bought, you could lose. Yeah, if exactly. You, lost it all. <laughs> <laughs> you remember I did that little documentary about you for a potential like they were maybe going to do a reality show about young poker stars, and uh, and we filmed something. I have to. I really want to find it. I followed you around a little bit, and like we had, you were on my radio show, and I like uh, did some filming at the radio show, and then you gave like a tour of the apart of your and Shannon's apartment, Uh, and and we put together a little like this is Phil's life sort of thing, and it was so funny because (laughs) it was like this is my sword, this is where I keep my jugs of water, like
1: (laughs) yeah, I forgot about that too. I hope you don't find it.
0: It's on some hard drive that's probably like as big as a room and only has 250 gig capacity on it. But like we interviewed you in it, or we were just talking about sort of what your life is like. And you talked about how you, when you're playing poker, you have to think about money, not as money, but as like points in a game, Yeah. which I think is so interesting. Cause it's like, it is money. <laughs> like you're playing with dollars, <laughs> but, uh and, and you said, you know, you can't, think about it as like, oh, I just lost a car. (laughs) Like uh, you have to, yeah, just look at it within the context of the game. Is that something that you still do?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think at this point I've just played for so long that I'm desensitized to that Mm. a little bit. Um, And so I don't even, but but yeah, it definitely felt and was important, I think that it felt like a video game bit. Because once you get to higher stakes and even even stakes that are not like crazy high um, The money that you can lose in an individual day is always you know something substantial in the real world and You just have to make plays where you are risking a lot of money and you know uh, whatever like 60% of the time it works out and 40% of the time it doesn't. And you have to be okay with losing that money 40% of the time because that's a good bet.
0: What's the most that you've lost in a day?
1: Most I've lost in a day is um, a little over 1 million. I think 1.1 million.
0: Oh my God, Phil.
1: Yeah. Right? All the things I could have bought with that.
0: (laughs) I still love remembering that in college, I had to take a logic class uh, in order to pass whatever. Like it was a requirement of my degree. Mm-hmm. I had no interest in it. I didn't go. I think it was like in the morning and up a hill, so I just like never went. Yeah. And uh, and while I had the books, and from most classes that I opted not to go to, I could just read the material and do fine. This was something where I was like completely lost. And then you, overnight at a library, taught me logic. That. Yeah. And I think I got like a C or like a B minus or something, which was way better than what I would have gotten without that. But you were so into it. You were like,
1: I really like logic. Yeah. This
0: is my shit. Yeah. I know none of it now, but, um, but it was very helpful in a pinch at that time.
1: I'm glad that I, am glad I helped. I, yeah. I remember that well. And I do. I have so my, uh, my niece Lola now, like a, a couple of times has asked for help with math homework. I mean, she's, uh, eight, seven or eight. I should know that. But um, she she doesn't. I get too excited, and she doesn't like it. I, I make her. <laughs> I, I make it too hard on her, so I, she doesn't ask me anymore.
0: When did you realize that you were good at math? I guess that's something that comes in school, right?
1: Yeah, pretty early. Well, also my really early. My dad is a statistician, and he taught me things like a, a couple of years before we learned them in school, like in elementary school at least. Um, and I always liked them, and I probably. I mean. I probably liked that—that that it was impressive that I knew things, you know, before other kids did. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's why I got into it. But yeah, it's it's math always um, was easier for me than other subjects. And then in college, I didn't didn't study math.
0: You were studying philosophy or psychology. Philosophy. Right. The psychology side of playing poker was something that I remember you glomming onto early as well, where like figuring out what your opponent was thinking or how to read them is, I remember you would take notes on the people who were playing in online poker tables, like in your coaching, is that stuff that you get into as well of like, here's how to read people or uh, assess like how, what's probably going on in their mind?
1: It is a little bit, but it's also, that's one of the elements that's harder to teach Mm. is, uh, but the way that that I do teach it more is um, basically every decision someone makes throughout a hand you you have to add all of those things up and and kind of analyze the whole story. So sometimes you're on the river which for, is the is the end of the hand basically and, and your opponent's betting uh, a big amount and right now they're saying that they have you know one of one of these few hands. But then you go back to the turn and you go back to the flop and say, would they have bet this small on the flop with this hand that they're, they're saying they have now? Um, and in a lot of cases, especially in today's kind of poker world, they are supposed to have because today people are studying solvers, which are basically the, you know, computers that have solved the game and can play better than any human. And if they're studying and memorizing it very well, then they will. You know, the the solvers make sure that they balance all of these things out, so that uh, so that they can't be exploited by by my line of thinking, essentially. Um,
0: Wait, so solvers are like programs that have like been run on a particular game or something. Like what? Yeah. yeah, So,
1: so there's a. There are bots and there are solvers and. The only real big distinction is that bots can actually play Mm. and and bots are cheating, but really they use the same um, mechanisms to to learn the game. And it's, you know, similar to like chess. You know, computers can beat any human in chess now. Um, That wasn't the case 20 years ago, I think. I don't know at what point it was. And and it wasn't the case in poker 10 years ago, Um, but it is now. And so entire games have been more or less solved. The way that the solvers that you use generally work is you have to give it a couple of inputs like well, this is the setup of the game. These are all the bet sizings that I'll allow each player to use. So there are some limitations. and then it goes and um, and essentially what it does is play against itself for billions of hands. Um, it doesn't understand anything about poker. It just, plays against itself and keeps improving itself. Like it's, it learns that, oh, when I did this randomly, it had it led to better results over time. So it mm. starts doing that more and just eventually gets to its uh, kind of a solved or close to solved version of the game. Um, so what? yeah, software products will do that. And then you can go in and study how it plays in all of these different spots. And as a human, some people try to memorize it, which is ridiculous because um, it's too big, it's way too big. But as a human, what you have to do is you have to go in and, and kind of apply logic to what the solver is doing. You have to say, okay, why is it doing all these things? And think up reasons why it might um, and kind of investigate those reasons further. Um, but then if you understand the reasons, then you can apply that to situations you find yourself in rather than having to memorize something that's not not possible to memorize.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I was reading about when i was reading about the Galphon challenge <laughs> that that's like mm-hmm. a new emerging thing yeah. in the poker world and that it has like changed the game that that people who are now learning it or who are like yeah
1: yeah frankly i was i was pretty scared um that my strengths um as a poker player were becoming obsolete mm. because um but but i and I, I had taken you know before these challenges i had I had barely played for a few years because I was working on the business full time, and um, yeah, I was afraid that that like the strengths that I have don't apply anymore because the new strengths are just studying really hard, which is never my strength um, in anything. Um, but but I was I I've, I've been happy to learn that you know humans' capacity to to process everything that the solver spits out is still you know limited enough that that. It's still poker. All of the same things still apply. Yeah. Just people are getting better.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, I know this about you, and yet I. F- it. I feel like it is a surprising thing that you uh, don't like studying, <laughs> and yet, like you log tons and tons of hours of like playing or like doing. Especially, you know, back in those early days, you had multiple mm. games at a time, going for hours and days at a time, and. Uh, and that was not something that you felt was a slog, right? Like, but right. It, but is it just the engagement part of it that makes it uh, something that you're willing to <laughs> to endure to get better rather than just like studying solo?
1: no, it's it's more that this is kind of the same thing we were talking about with school subjects that if something is interesting to me, i I, I have a lot of energy and patience, and i I enjoy it. I mean, like, I, when we were studying, when I was teaching you logic in the library for, I don't know how many hours, I was enjoying that. I wasn't, it wasn't hard work. Right. And so that was, you know, something like studying, but I, I like it. So there are, there are some things that I can work on that are hard work, but it's, but it's hard work that I like. Right. Um, So yeah, it's more, do I find something interesting or do I not find it interesting? And if I don't find it interesting, I cannot summon the willpower to, uh, to get through it.
0: I feel like that's a pretty, I mean, I can't say it's completely universal, but like, I certainly identify with that, you know, where like, if you talk about the number of hours that it takes to like, you know, create a film or, you know, or edit something, it's like only because I'm editing it (laughs) do I you know like because it's something that I enjoy doing and I like that I'm affecting the the result uh is it something that I'm like like if you just say hey spend you know 200 hours doing something I would just be like oh that sucks I don't want to do that (laughs) yeah
1: no editing is a perfect example editing is so hard it takes so long I mean I haven't done uh nearly the editing you have but I make poker videos and sometimes you have to edit them and it's yeah yeah
0: yeah that's true do you have any questions for me
1: do you know much about uh Gambling tax? It's no, p- it's, I know it's pretty nothing messed about up. it. Yeah, what, tell yeah. me about it. You, the main thing that's that's really frustrating as a poker player is that you cannot, um, you can't carry over losses. So if oh. I if I lose a million dollars this year and next year I win a million dollars, I pay full tax on that million. And I'm da- I'm down overall. Like my play results is even, but I'm down overall. Wow! So you actually, as a poker player, have to be very careful about how much risk you take during a calendar year. And a lot of players will increase their risk at the end of the year if they've had a good year, because they know once the once once January first comes around, they have to they have to stop taking as much risk.
0: Fascinating. I had no idea it, that you couldn't yeah. carry losses.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty dumb, and I don't. I mean, I don't know why that is, but it just is.
0: It's also. I mean. I, it's been a while since I was tuned in on what the legality of, of poker is and the online playing now in the mm. U.S. because I know that there was that major event in like whatever it was, 2009, 11, 10, 11. There were
1: 11. Two, there were two events, but 11 was the bigger one.
0: And that was when like, Assets were seized from yeah. players across, like, multiple platforms. And then what happened to that? They just, like, seized it, and then it was, like, this is the property of the uh, U.S.? or it's... Players,
1: for the most part, got paid back. Oh. Um, they – so they – I think there were three major sites and really two big ones, Full Tilt and Poker Stars. They made the sites pay you back, mm. but Full Tilt could not pay back. Oh, no. They had done something that they're not supposed to do, which is use – player balances for expenses. And they would have been fine. They were making so much money that over time they would have been fine, except that they got shut down. Ah. Um, and then they couldn't pay back. And what ended up happening is um, PokerStars bought Full Tilt. And as part, and I think as part of their settlement with the Department of Justice, paid back all the Full Tilt players um, as well. So everybody got paid back. It was an annoying process. You had to, I mean, as all government, uh, <laughs> type things oh, are yeah. but yeah um, and it took a long time but everybody did get paid back
0: but like what happened since then in terms of legislation that uh, made it so that now you can you know operate you can yeah, play so online
1: it's still much a much different world than it was it's a much different world than it was then you cannot legally play in most states right now um, Nevada New Jersey Delaware Pennsylvania Maybe Michigan is new, but those are the only states that that have legalized and regulated online poker. And as a poker site, you need to apply, you have to apply for a license, pay them a lot of money, um, and uh, you know abide by all their um, licensing requirements, and then you can take players from those states. Mo- uh, by default, when you legalize it in a state, you can't those players can't play with the rest of the world and they can't play with players from other states. But all that said, there are a lot of ways to play illegally uh, out of the US and you as a player don't, don't, it's not illegal for you, but it's illegal for the sites letting you play. Mm. And that means almost all of them. I know of ones <laughs> this is not true for, but almost all of them don't have gaming licenses anywhere. They're not regulated by anything. And so if they're not an ethical company, then, you know, th- there's nothing stopping them from, from taking your money, most of them don't haven't yet, um, but but I would definitely tell people to exercise caution playing uh, on these sites. And actually, this is part of why the argument, uh, you know, by the U.S. government of you know we're trying to protect people from themselves, and and you know, it it, it doesn't it doesn't hold water because people are still playing. They're just playing in less safe places than they would be if if we let them play legally in the U.S. Mm.
0: That's interesting. I mean, there is, yeah, because there's that element where it is technically gambling, yeah,
1: well, it's no it's the same level of gambling as you know it's gambling in the same way that the stock market is gambling or mm-hmm. running a business running a business is gambling. right. It yeah. is important to protect people from themselves um, because gambling addiction is real and uh, has, have, has ruined a lot of people's lives. Um, but the way to do that is is you have sites that um, are regulated by the U.S. government, legal everywhere, legal throughout the U.S., mm-hmm. and you know they have things in place like um, so. So my business is a poker site. We we don't operate in the U.S. We operate in the in the places we're allowed to with the licenses we have. And part of those licensing requirements are, you know, if some if somebody comes on our site and starts playing for reasonable stakes, we have to stop them and we have to verify their, their wealth, because if they don't have a certain level of wealth, we have to stop them from doing that. Oh, interesting. And yeah. So there are a lot of things like you have to, you have to make sure that they're not playing well above their means. You have to have things in place where they can self exclude themselves. So say like there's an, there are options for like, don't let me play for another month or don't let me play above these stakes that mm-hmm. they can put in place so they, they can protect themselves from themselves. Um, and then there are all these things about like the biggest thing is, is uh, anti-money laundering things so you have to find out where all the money came from because it's a big hassle when you're when you're the business but uh, there for obvious reasons but um, <laughs> but, uh, but no but like the you can right now wherever you are go and play on some sites which I won't name um, and you know sign up for an account today deposit 50k in Bitcoin and you're playing Wow and and you can also just as easily transfer that money to another player who then cashes it out. Like, I mean, you can launder money through these sites because they're not regulated in the U S and they're, they're not regulated by anybody. Um,
0: Hence the argument for bring it all home, regulate it and make it legal play. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think it is heading that direction. Fortunately.
0: That's good. Thank you so much for talking to me.
1: My pleasure. Do
0: you want to plug anything?
1: <laughs> no I mean I, I'm a, I, you have businesses I, uh, Phil yeah that's true my businesses are Run It Once Poker and Run It Once Training um, where you can play poker and learn poker runitonce.com is where you uh, learn poker from a lot of pros like me and uh, runitonce.eu um, not for our US listeners um, but for For most countries, I think, uh, can go play poker. And we have regulations. uh, So you can protect yourself from yourself. (laughs) That's that's a good sales pitch. I was going
0: to say, super fun. (laughs) Yeah. That is our show. Thank you to our guest, Phil Galfond, and thank you for listening. Brass Taxes makes it all possible, so check them out at brasstaxes.com and use the code POD25 for a discount if you're new. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give us a review, make sure you're subscribed, share it with your friends. I bet they'd like it too. I'm Caroline Craighead, and you're great. You're doing great. Just keep it up. See you next time.